Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. So the background story is, is I used to love motocross. I used to race motocross. And when I got married, right after I got married, I had a pretty good accent that ended up in the hospital and landed on my head. And Amy said, look, we're done with this. I want to have kids. I want you to be able to walk. Like, we're not going to do this. And so I promised her I wouldn't dirt bike anymore. And that was it. And so I haven't touched anything dirt bikes in 15, probably actually been longer than that. But this series is all about getting outside of your comfort zone. And so that was one of the things I said I would never do again because I... It's really outside my comfort zone now, but that's what we're going to do, is we're going to do a ton of stuff in this coming year that's going to push us outside of our comfort zone, and so we have some really fun videos coming up where I'm going to make Doyle do some things and the rest of our staff do some things that are outside of our comfort zone, um, because we have been talking about as a staff and now as a church what we believe God is calling us to in this coming year, and in this coming year, one of the big things is so it actually originated in a meeting. We were in a meeting and we're talking about what do we think God is, is calling us to? And we really had the decision. Are we going to go the comfortable route? We'll do church as normal and, you know, things are going good. And so we'll just keep that going. Or can we go a, you know, a, a route that we think he's calling us to, but that's going to make us really uncomfortable. And in the meeting, the phrase send it came up. Like, let's just send it. That's what we're here to do. Let's get outside of our comfort zone. And so we're going to send it. And, I, and I, it kind of caught on. And we started to talk about, well, should that be our theme for the year? And I don't know, it's a little trendy, you know, I don't know if I, you know, it's kind of goo, whatever. But then I started to do some research. And I realized that this phrase, send it, not just comes from, you know, the extreme sports world and all that. It actually is rooted in the scriptures. Jesus is the one that created this phrase. Actually, it was to describe Jesus. And I'm going to show you today in one of our foundational passages that we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks and and through the rest of the year. It's in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, you can jump in there with me. John 17. And Jesus is in the middle of a prayer. And this is actually going to be one of his last prayers because he is on the way to the cross. And we get some insight into some things that he's obviously thinking about and that he's praying about. He's praying about himself and what he's going to experience. He prays about the disciples and then he prays for all believers. So here's what it says in verse 18. We're going to start at the bottom of kind of this prayer and then we're going to work our way towards the top. As you sent me into the world. And so this phrase right here, sent, this is all over the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It is used hundreds of times. And, and most often, it's used about Jesus. And so if you do a little word search on this, you'll find out that this word in the Greek, which is what the Bible, the New Testament, was written in, this is where we get the word apostle from, people, the sent ones. But if you look into the Latin, this is where we get the word mission from. And so what it's saying here is that Jesus was sent into the world from heaven by his Father on a mission, That he has a mission, and we're going to talk about what that mission is um, in a moment. But what is the first thing that you think of when you hear the word mission? So last night we turned on TV and we're going to stream a movie that kind of have a little family time. And you know what movie was right there? Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. So maybe that's the kind of mission you think of when you think of mission, is you think of Mission Impossible, or there's these podcasts that are out right now, Navy SEAL podcasts, I've been listening to them lately, where they talk about all the different missions that they've gone on in order to save people who are hostages. And so maybe that's what you think. Or if you're like me, your kids are in the season in which they're learning about the California missions. 
in which they get to go visit and they get to learn about what's going on and how these people came in order to show the locals, here's what the faith looks like and here's what the Spanish culture looks like. And so maybe when you think of mission, you think of people who are coming to save or people who are coming to show. And that's exactly the mission that Jesus was on, is he came to do those two things. He came in order to show and to save. He came to show people, here is what God is like. If you've ever wondered what God is like, you have to look no further than me. I am the invisible God made visible. And then he also says, and I think we have a slide you can go to it. He also says that he's come to save, that we are lost, that we have rebelled against our creator, and that he has come to save us from our sins. That's eventually what is going to happen on the cross. And so Jesus is on a mission, Ultimately, his mission is to bring his creation back under his rule, to be king over all creation. And a part of that is to reconcile us to himself. Okay, so let's go to the second part of that verse. It says, as you've sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So he says, okay, I was sent from heaven, and now I'm sending you, my disciples, I'm going to send you into the world on a mission. Now, here's my first question. Why would Jesus need to send us on a mission? It's not like he can't accomplish it better than we can, right? He's much better at this than we are. He doesn't need our help. It's not for his benefit that he sends us. It's for our benefit. We're the ones who are sent on a mission because this is how we experience joy. In fact, he says this at the beginning of uh, this section. He says in verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. So he talks about, okay, I know where I'm heading and I'm about to leave this world. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And so what he says is there is this connection between joy and mission. That you and I, we were made to be on a mission in life. Is all of us were created in order to make our lives about something. See, this is what is unique about humans, as, because we're made in God's image, and a part of that means that we're supposed to be co-creators with him. We're supposed to make our lives about something that makes us different than the rest of creation. Like, if you go home after this, and you walk through your front door, and maybe you have a dog, and your dog's excited, you know what your dog has not been doing while you were gone? Thinking about what he's doing with his life. You just think, man, I got I to gotta stop taking so many naps. I mean, I am wasting my life right now. I've got to do something. No, your dog is not thinking that. They're thinking, yay, they're home. That's it. Because we're different than the rest of creation. We are supposed to be people who live life about something, on a mission. You can even see this in children. What are all children's stories about? And pretty much all stories are about they're about the main character going on some sort of mission in order to save somebody. Who are the people that we admire? People who live life on a mission. Our kids, what do they dress up as? Superheroes, people who are on a mission to make an impact in the world. I've yet to meet a child. So, I'm a, my kids are at the age now where they're talking a lot about what they're going to do when they grow up. So my nine-year-old was driving with me in the car and he said, Dad, I think I've got it figured out. I think I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm like, well, I didn't figure that out until like 35, so okay. And he, he, he said, um, well, obviously I'm going to play in the MLB. Um, and then I'm probably going to become a pastor like you and I'm done with that. And then maybe my third career will be like, I'll give away some money because I'll have a lot by then. And I'm like, well, not from the ministry thing. And so 
he, he talks about all the things that he's going to do with his life and all the, all the accomplishments, that his, all the things that his life is going to be about. You know what I have yet to see? I've yet to see a child go, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a paper pusher. I want to have a dead-end job where I'm like a cog in the machine and nobody cares that I'm there and I just skate through life. That's what I want to do. Now, a lot of people may end up there, but that's not where they want to be. Is They want their life to be about something. I, uh, I've shared many times that I love prison documentaries and my love for them is still very strong. Uh, I still watch them on a regular basis, including this last week. And so this last week I saw one and I learned that um, one of the best compliments that you can get in prison, if there is such a thing, is that you're about something, that you're about that life. Even those who are in prison recognize we're made for a mission. We're made to be about something. And so that's even a value, even in this like alternative world that they live in, that's a value is to be about something, to make your life about something. It's because we were created in the image of God to partner with him on a mission. So here's the question, what's your mission? What's your mission? You get up every single day and you work towards an end. You're making your life about something. You have this end goal. What's your mission in life? You probably haven't thought about it. I, I doubt you have like a mission statement or anything like that, but you, you have a mission. And so maybe it'll be easier to think of it like this. Is fill in this blank. Is I live to what? Just think about it in your mind. I live to Whatever was the first thing that comes to your mind? I live to, no, if I were to ask the average person on the street, here's what I think their answer would be, or at least boiled down to. I live to be happy. That's what pretty much everybody lives to, for, at least within our culture, is I live to be happy. And what I mean by that is I live for personal satisfaction and fulfillment. Now, I might have all these other things that are a big part of my life. I might even talk about my relationships and my career and all the hobbies that I have. Those are all good, but what is underneath those things? What does that all boil down to? That all boils down to, I just want to be happy. I want to find fulfillment. I want to find satisfaction in life. There's, a, there's been this, and we've talked about this over the years, is, is this turn inward, that life has become about us. And one of the ways that you can find out if your life is about you or if it's about something else is... It's not by, I think you could start here is by asking the question, I live to what? But if you're like me, especially if you're a Christian, you know what the right answer there is. <laughs> you know, I live for Jesus, of course, dude. I live for Jesus. All right, maybe. Let's do a test. You have limited resources. All of us do. Limited resources like our time, our energy, our money. So let's take the last one, the money. What do you do with your money? Let's imagine that you go home and on your doorstep is a check for $10,000. And you think, I should go to church more often. This is really, this is, this is great. But what is your instinct? What is your intuition? Where is the first place that you're going to put that money? I think most people would say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it. I mean, there's some things that I would like to, to buy that I've had on hold for a little bit that I think would be really fun. Or, or maybe it's, I'd like to have this experience. I'd like to go on this vacation. Or maybe you're a saver and you go, I just find comfort in having a little money in the bank. And so I'm just going to put this there. Or maybe your first thought is, who can I give this to? Who's in need right now? I should definitely tithe on this. I wonder if there's a charity that I can give some to. See, that's a good indicator of what your mission in life really is. 
is how you use your limited resources. And so when you have those limited resources, what is the first thing that you use them on? Well, that's probably what your real mission in life is. Not what you say it is, but what it actually is. I think so many people today are lacking joy, this joy that Jesus talks about, because we have chosen the wrong mission in life. We've made our lives about the wrong things. And most of us never realize that we've chosen the wrong mission. We think it's because we've never accomplished the mission. Well, the reason why I don't experience joy and I'm unhappy is because not it's the wrong mission, it's that I don't have the house yet. I don't have the car, I don't have the relationship, I haven't achieved my goals, and so that's why I'm unhappy. But there are some people in the world who, who accomplish those things. They make it to the top of that mountain. And we see them, we see them on the TV, and we see them in the magazines, and do they seem happy to you? Do they seem like they're full of joy? No, these people are a mess. The problem is that they've made it stop, they've seen that there's nothing there, and now they've lost hope because they've realized that they've been pursuing the wrong mission in life. Most of us will never get there. We'll just keep thinking the reason why I'm unhappy is because I'm not at the top of the mountain yet. But what we never realize is it was the wrong mountain. We have been pursuing the wrong mission. And so this turn inward that we have had as a culture, and we've talked about kind of the history of, of how this has taken place, but really we have... We have made it a virtue to make life about yourself, to make everything about pursuing your desires and your wants and your passions. And so in the past, you might have had things like duty. That was a value. I value the duty that I have to serve my family or my country or my community. And so those are things that we valued. But we've kind of gotten away from all of those things. We said, no, no, no. The, the first and foremost is you got to take care of yourself. you got to pursue what you want. Even if it's at the cost of other people, really life is about you and your fulfillment. And so if you look at kind of the foundational things of society, like marriage and family, you see how this plays out. In the last 50 years, a couple quick stats, last 50 years, birth rates have dropped over 50%, single motherhood has doubled, and marriage has declined by 60%. Just the most foundational bit. Why? Well, because those things are costly, they may get in the way of me pursuing what I want in life. And so I'm just going to get rid of them. I'm going to abandon it. I don't care what it costs. And, and here's the truth is it's not just bad for society. It's bad for us. It's bad for us as individuals. And you can see it. Here's the result. As all of these things, we've turned inward. We've abandoned anything that would, cause, uh, that would cost us or sacrifice. What has the result been? Well, we live in the most powerful and prosperous nation in human history. Are we all ecstatic and having a great time? No! So many people are miserable. They're full of anxiety and fear and depression. When will we realize we have chosen the wrong mission in life? We have succeeded at making life about us, and it has made us miserable. And so when Jesus says, hey, I want you to come and I want you to to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. What he's doing is he's saying, I want you to stop pursuing your mission because where, you know where your mission en ends up at? It ends up in comfort. That's the goal. That's the best that you can hope for is your life is comfortable. But what you really want is you want to bring change. You want your life to have mattered. You want to have make an impact in the world. And those two do not go together. You cannot bring change and also be comfortable. And so what Jesus invites us to is he says, yeah, you're going to have to forsake all that comfort. You're going to have to stop looking at what you want and your desires. And instead, you can start becoming a part of what I'm doing in the world. 
I was thinking about my own life and, and how I naturally am about me. I mean, that's a human condition, but that's also a virtue in our society. And even the things that I say are about other people really are about me, if I'm being honest. Like my kids. So, um, I, I would say I had a desire to have kids. Amy had a desire to have kids. I remind her all the time when the kids aren't listening. I go, these are your kids. You wanted them. I don't know what we're doing here, but you wanted them. And you, even that desire to bring life into the world wasn't just about them. It's about me. It's about my, my wants, my desires, my fulfillment. And we say we sacrifice for our kids, which we do. But let's be honest, so much of the sacrifice isn't even about them. So I'll use myself as an example. Um, I just spent a week researching the best bats for a nine-year-old baseball player. Why? I know so much about baseball bats, USA, U-Triple-S-A, here's the brands, here's the the drop. And I wasted an entire week of my time figuring out how to get the best bat for a kid who probably won't hit it that often. Don't tell him I said that, but it's true, okay? Why? And why do we do this? Why do we get our kids on all the teams and make sure they get into the best schools and they're around the best people? Why Why do we do that? Is it for their benefit? Hardly. It's for ours. There's this thing called daddy ball I'm learning about, where the dad, yo, I heard some amens, I, where the dads are more concerned about winning the game than the kids are, and they're fired up, man. I, I'm, dude, I almost turned into one yesterday. I, okay, I did. I was there. And I just looked at myself like, what are you doing? What are you doing right now, dude? This isn't about you. This is about them having fun. Because even the things that we say are about others are, are oftentimes just about us. It's about our wants. This is why Jesus comes along and he says, if you want to find your life, you must lose your life for my sake. He says, if you want to make your life about something that that actually matters, stop looking at yourself. Give up all of your mission, all of your desire, and start start becoming a part of what I'm doing in the world. Because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm taking the world and I'm putting it back together. I'm reconciling humanity to its creator. I'm making everything new. I'm changing the world. And so if you want to be a part of something that actually matters, that lasts beyond yourself and your comfort, you're going to have to get rid of all that stuff and make your life about what I'm doing in the world. So let me give you a couple things real quick of how we can be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. First is this. In verse 12, he says, uh, no, no, sorry, go back. Yeah, there we go. While I was with them, He starts describing his time with the disciples. This is like the first thing that has to be done if you're going to be on the the mission with Jesus. you got to be with him. I know it sounds so simple, but but this is what we have to do. He spent three years hanging out with the disciples, giving them insight and wisdom, blessing them with his presence. And so here's what he does. He goes, now that you've been blessed with hanging out with me for three years, now I'm going to send you out so that you'll bless the world. And that's what the process looks like. As we come to Jesus, he blesses us, not just so that we will be blessed, but so that we can be a blessing for the rest of the world. So he brings us in and then he sends us out. So the first thing we have to do is we got to spend time with Jesus. That's why we come together every weekend and we learn about him and we worship and we pray, but hopefully it doesn't stop there. Hopefully you're doing that throughout the week as well. And then verse 15, it says this, it says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. There's a popular saying, and we've said it around here, is we are to live in the world, but not of the world. And our last series was all about that. What does it look like to live like Jesus within our world? 
What Jesus does not pray here is that we would be taken out of the world, that we would be isolated, that we, no, no. What he says is, I want them to go into the world, and here's what he equips us with. He doesn't equip us with more money. He doesn't give us a marketing campaign. He doesn't give us a master's degree in theology. He sends us and the disciples, what did he send us with? He sends us with holiness. He says, I want you to go out into the world, and I want you to start acting just like I did. This is why we have this slogan around here, live differently. Because that's the first thing to be on Jesus' mission is, is we got to start living different. we got to be different than everybody else out in the world. Is the way that we value things, the way our, that our lifestyles look, the beliefs that we have. We are in the world and people are taking notice because they're so different than everybody else. So recently my, um, my kids, because it's uh, daylight savings and it gets dark early, they were in the house um, way too early with way too much energy at the end of the day. And I'm like, look, I love you, but I can love you for about two hours at a time, so you're going to need to stay outside longer. And so what I decided was, because they couldn't play in the backyard because it was dark, I'm going to hang some lights in the backyard. Well, I might have gotten a little carried away. I've got to be honest. I might have found a deal on some stadium lighting. <laughs> and so on the back of my house, I mounted uh, the equivalent of stadium lighting. Where when it turns on, you better be wearing sunscreen because it's bright back there. I mean, it is insanely bright. Like my wife was fully embarrassed when I turned them on. And I think it's great. So I, I, I turned them on. The kids were playing in the backyard. And I went down the street and I took a picture and I sent it to Amy because it's like, it's like this glow is coming from our backyard into the, it, it bounces off the houses behind us and then goes in. So it's everywhere. I was giggling so hard when I saw it. I just thought, this is awesome. Uh, the neighbors did not think it was awesome, but I thought it was hilarious. Jesus uses this as an illustration of who we're supposed to be. He says, I want you to be light in the darkness. I want you to go into the world, and everywhere that you enter, people just go, whoa. Whoa, they're, they're different. Like, that's one of my goals in life. It's not that I'm weird or not that I'm strange, but that I enter into places and people just go, wow, they're different. What's their deal? Like, they can't make the game on Sunday because they have church? Who does that? They're not living together because they're waiting? They do what with their money? They spend how much time there? I, it doesn't. But then as they notice that we live differently, they're going to go, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I believe what they believe, but I, I like the way that their life is turning out. Maybe they're onto something with this whole live differently deal. Maybe the reason why their life is having different results than ours is because of this whole Jesus thing. And they'll be drawn to it. I'm not saying they're going to believe everything that we believe all of a sudden, but they're going to go, you know, I think I want, I want to know more. Verse 22. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Here's the thing that we have to do is not only do we go out in the world and we live differently, but we have to be united. So um, I took my daughter to go see The Chosen, the release in the theaters this week. She's really into the show, and I'm like, hey, I'll take you there if you're into it. And so they were showing in season, I guess it's season four, something that I had not thought about before. And there's a lot of like kind of background, maybe not so biblical, but interesting to help you understand some of the personalities. And it was the argument between the disciples of who was going to be the greatest, 
And there's all this conflict amongst the disciples, and then Matthew and Peter are arguing about some things, and so then they have issues. And I never thought about all the relational dynamics that probably took place. I mean, you have 12 guys who are hanging out day in, day out for three years. There's got to be drama. There's got to be conflict. And Jesus is there, and he's kind of helping them figure it out and how to forgive and things. And, And at the end of Jesus' life, and this is me imagining it, at the end of Jesus' life, he sits his disciples down and he goes, guys, I'm going to be gone soon. And the only thing that the world is going to know about me is you. You're going to represent me in the world. And so what we're doing here, this is not representing well. And so here's what he says a couple chapters before this in in, uh, 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He goes, okay, so here's what I want the world to know about me through you. How you love one another. That's the first thing that people should know. Not your political opinions. Not all that. No. What, what they need to know is how you love one another. I want them to see that you live differently. And the first thing they notice is you love. And you know what happened? They did it. They didn't do it perfect. They still had conflict. They still had drama. They still had to wrestle with things. We see that throughout the scriptures. But people took notice and they said, you know, these people live differently. And the thing that's most different about them is the way that they love. In the second century, there was a Christian who was a historian. And he was talking about the difference between what the rest of the world was doing and what the church was doing. And here's what he had to say. He said, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, this is the pagan culture. See, they say how they love one another. For they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. And so... What he's saying is, when I look out in the world, you know what we all have in common? We hate people. Oh, you don't ever feel that way? You don't ever feel like, wow, I kind of wish they didn't exist. I'm not saying kill them or anything. I'm just saying, wow, I kind of wish that. No, okay, that's just me. All right. Uh, See, they say about us how they are ready even to die for one another. For they themselves would sooner kill. The rest of the world is at each other's throats. And yet there is this group over here that is so different because what they're willing to do is they're willing to die for each other. And people started to take notice. And they said, you know, I want to be a part of that group. I see how they love each other. I see how they care for one another. In fact, they started to love people outside of their group, people that they'd never met. And they started to die for these people. And people said, I want to be a part of that. In verse 17, he says this. He says, sanctify them by the truth, your word, is truth. So when you go out into the world and you're living differently and you're united, I want you to be united in truth and in love. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to show us who God is and how he loves and also reveal things about God and about ourselves. And so you need to go into the world full of truth and love. I think it's a really good way to check kind of the spiritual temperature of where you're at is, is evaluating how well you're doing at these two things. Because that will determine if you were on the mission with Jesus or not. Is how you love people and how you tell people truth. Throughout the years, I've, uh, as a pastor, I've shared some of my struggles and uh, how I've you know, combat them and somewhat overcome them and still struggle with those. And whenever I share my story and some of my struggles, I always have people who come up to me afterward and they go, hey man, I really resonate with that because that's my struggle as well. And so... Uh, you know, how can, I, how can I overcome this? Or at least, what are some tools that I can use to, to combat this? 
And if you overheard me saying, hey, um, man, it's hard. I get it. Good luck out there. You would go, what? I don't think that's what they were looking for. And you would say, I probably lack one of these two things. Either I lack love because I'm unwilling to spend some time with this person in order to share with, the, with them the things that I've learned. So I just couldn't care less. Or I lack truth. I don't actually know what I'm talking about, so I have nothing to offer them. See, if we're not on the mission with Jesus, it might be because we're lacking one of these two things. Maybe we're lacking love. Maybe it's that we don't actually love Jesus. We like him. We think he's interesting. He's making our life a little bit better. But we don't actually love him. Or maybe it's we don't love other people. We're annoyed with people. They anger us. And so we just rather kind of be isolated. Or maybe it's we don't actually believe this is true. Maybe we think it's a nice story and Jesus has some good things to say, but we're not really sure about this whole salvation, eternal life, all that. Maybe the reason why we're not living this missional life is because we don't have those things. And so here's where I want to kind of leave us today as we set the stage for the coming weeks. Is in order to really live out this mission, we're going to do three things this year. And we're going to push you to do these three things. And it's going to be uncomfortable. Here's the three things that we're going to do is we're going to serve, share, and sacrifice. So this first one, serve. Here's the great news. In the last year, we have seen 20% more people come to our church than the year previously, which is amazing, such a blessing. God has done incredible things. Here's the problem. We have not seen 20% more people serving. So here's what this means in practical terms, is there are hundreds of youth and kids who are over there that need to hear about Jesus that there's no one there to tell them about them. Or there's people here for the first time who are going, am I at a racetrack or a church? Where do I go? I'm confused. And there's nobody there to go. No, you're kind of both, but here, come with us. And so we're going to push you to serve somewhere. The other thing is share, is that's what we were made to do, is we were blessed with the message in order to be a blessing to go and share it with some people. And so if you're a church person, you go, yeah, yeah, I know that. I just don't know how. We're going to help you. We're going to give you some really practical ways for you to invite people to church and to share your faith and kind of how Jesus changed your life. And so we're going to, we're going to talk through that. And then sacrifice is just like service. We've had 20% more people, but we have not had 20% more income. And look, we believe that God's going to provide and he's going to make a way and we're doing fine. But we have a lot of things we think God is calling us to do. And so not only do we need you to be a part of it in order to make that happen, but you need to be a part of it. Because this is how you're going to learn to be more like Jesus. Is it's going to be giving up the things that are hard to give up. Becoming a more generous person. And so we're going to push you to be a person who if you don't give, you're going to start giving. If you give, we're going to push you to give a little bit more. Because that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. So here's kind of the bottom line. This is how I make sense of things. I'm very simple. Jesus was sent. We are sent. So the obvious conclusion is, so we're going to send it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. Thanks for giving us this opportunity to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Um, Lord, when we partner with you, it really makes our lives matter. Um, Not just matter to ourselves, but matter to the people around us. And if you use us, it'll matter matter eternally. And so, Lord God, we just pray that um, you would take us out of our comfort zones this coming year so that we may make a greater impact. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday morning. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.